the Heal Innovation East Africa podcast. Thank you for tuning in on this episode. On the Heal Innovation Hub podcast, we discuss issues based on innovation and justice. On today's episode, we have collaborated with Wakilisha Initiative podcast to bring you an important discussion on demystifying child sex trafficking and it will be moderated by Liz Njambi, who is the CEO and founder of Wakilisha Initiative. Hey everyone, and welcome to this particular podcast recording as we aim to demystify child sex trafficking. So our first guest that we'll be hearing from today is Timothy. Timothy is an advocate of the High Court of Kenya and works as an attorney at the International Justice Mission, IJM. Timothy, what is child sex trafficking? Thank you very much, um, and it's a pleasure to be here. The definition of sex trafficking and inclusive of the component of a child is defined under various statutes in law. It entails a whole series of activities that end up in what we call trafficking. The first one would be the movement of a child from one place to another for purposes of exploitation by means of either one, threat or use of force, abduction, fraud, deception, abuse of power or position, giving payments of benefits to obtain the consent, giving or receiving pay- payments of benefits to obtain the consent uh, from controlling of another person for purposes of exploiting them in many ways. And I think if you can now break it down to the exploitation, which is what we are talking about today, which is a sexual exploitation, then that would mean that you are taking away this child into a space through all those elements that we've mentioned for purposes of sex exploitation. Just to follow up on that, and I know you're currently based at the coast and I hope you're feeling much, much warmer than I am. Uh, What causes children to be sex trafficked? From the work that we've been doing here at uh, Mombasa, generally, which is a coastal region, we work in three different counties, which is Kwale, Kilifi, and um, Mombasa in itself. And the one major issue that we can attribute sex trafficking to is the prevailing poverty levels that are experienced in this side of the country. Number two, cultural practices that are around here contribute heavily to also sex trafficking. And I can give an example. At the coast especially, you getting a Mzungu, so this is either a white tourist who is here for purposes of uh, leisure or vacation, or somebody who lives here but is a white tourist, you getting such a person is um, considered the norm at the coastal area. So girls, especially here, and even boys to some extent, they aspire that when they get to a certain age, then you're given up to these people for purposes of securing a means of livelihood for your families. And this is something that is widely accepted. And if you look through the law, sex trafficking involves child marriages, which is also a very heavy component of what is happening here at the coast. And these are attributed to the fact that the parents sell off their children to any bidding and willing buyer for purposes of marriage so that they can in turn give back to them in terms of money and the livelihoods. Thank you so much, team, for painting such a clear picture. And at this point, I'm going to be turning to Ms. Njehia, who is a child therapist. Ms. Njehia, we've heard about prevailing poverty levels and harmful cultural practices leading children to be victims of sex trafficking. From a child psychology perspective, what would make a child vulnerable to this kind of abuse? 
Thank you, Elizabeth. Uh, number one, they're children, and that just makes them more vulnerable by the fact that uh, they're not adults, uh, the fact that they're dependent on other people for everything about them, for their survival and meeting their basic needs. The fact that they are of tender age just makes them vulnerable to anyone because then even as we are talking about uh, child sex trafficking, then we are talking about issues of power and control. The other factors is uh, number one, poverty, like it has been said. Children who are in families or communities that are extremely needy or vulnerable in terms of meeting their basic needs, their education and their every other need are more at risk in the sense that uh, it's easy for them to be manipulated and they become even easier target of uh, grooming because most of the abusers will be grooming them by giving them things that uh, go towards meeting their basic need. And then the other factors are the children, for example, who are in need of care and protection, children with disabilities, children with a neglect experience, children who are in the child-headed household, for example, children who are either they themselves have a chronic illness or children who are also growing up in a family where a parent or a significant caregiver or a primary caregiver has a, a chronic illness because then the children have really no one to take care of them and to watch over them. Children who are growing up in the, or who are living in the communities where they are witnessing a lot of violence because of the destabilization that comes with the violence, because of the fact that there is really no one taking care and minding the well-being of the children. And another category of children at risk are the children who are not attending school because then they don't have a schedule, they don't have very close supervision, and while the other children are in school doing something meaningful, then these children, most often than, than not, they are just not so busy and not meaningfully occupied, and then it's easy for other people to also get to hit at them. So a couple of um, issues or a couple of factors, but they are all around the child vulnerability. Thank you so much. And I just want to circle back to something you said. Mm -hmm. They are vulnerable to grooming. Could mm -hmm. you tell us what is grooming and how does it relate to child sex trafficking? Okay, grooming, if we were to just describe it in a very simple way, is uh, the way someone is going to endear themselves to a child. At the back of their mind, they know they are taking advantage of this child. So they will start by just being very friendly with this child. And uh, the purpose of them uh, trying to endear themselves is so that the child does not get to pick them as someone who is uh, risky or the children don't get to experience a sense of insecurity and that they are not safe around this person. And it can take as long as uh, the person who is grooming will push it to uh, just trying to ensure that they win the trust and the confidence of this child. And how it relates with it is that this person, this child has already built or uh, developed confidence with this person. So it's easier for this person to take this child away without the child even questioning them, without the child even seeing them as a threat. And for a groomer, they may not necessarily have to use force 
like someone who is kidnapping a child. Right. Now I'm going to introduce John Gotti from Childline Kenya. One of the areas in which they are working is on OCSE, Online Child Sexual Exploitation. So John, I'd just like you to speak from that specific niche of online child abuse. I think with COVID, we've seen a lot of us moving our operations online. We are now working from home. So with this shift, I would assume that the cases have spiked. But what does it really mean when we talk about online child sexual exploitation? Thank you. Thank you, Jambi. You've correctly put it that with COVID and with the age of information and technology and also internet, perpetrators are have also advanced. So someone wants to traffic a child, they will find it safer to approach a child uh, on the internet than a child who knows them, like maybe from within their area. And like Margaret was explaining, they, they would have taken time to build a relationship with this child. So by the time they are suggesting that, uh, you know, this child leaves Kisumu to come and meet them in Mombasa, it will be easy for them. And talking of, of that, you see, uh, a person will not meet a child online today, say on Facebook or on Twitter, and ask them to come and meet them in Mombasa. It will start with the grooming, which is actually a form of uh, child sexual exploitation. Just like Margaret was explaining, in, uh, at this level of grooming, if actually you were to come across that conversation, you will think that nothing uh, nothing is there because the perpetrator will hide their intentions at this level. They will not even mention anything sexual. They will not mention anything about you know meeting. It will just be a, a conversation that seems like uh, this person just cares about this child. So it's like, I mean, now what's your name? Where do you come from? What do you like? Because this person is trying to learn this child. They are trying to learn their, their interest. They want to know whether there is someone who monitors this child. They want to know is if there is someone that this child can report to. And it is at this level then they will that they will be able to now to know if this child, it's possible for me now to ask this child to come and meet me. So this is the level that we call the trust building you know, level of exploitation. It has not even moved to other forms that we call maybe sexting and sharing of uh, naked pictures, it is still at the level of building trust and the relationship with the, with the child. And I, there was a, you, you had asked the question of what makes children vulnerable to even uh, trafficking. And one of them is, is that after this level of trust building, the second level that we, we, we call uh, sexting, which now they've already, they are now used to each other, they will even start sharing secrets. Some of the secrets they share are even secrets like... Uh, you know, naked pictures. Let me not use even the term sharing because it has the connotation that the child is consenting. Let me just use that this person is making the child share their naked photos and, and maybe videos because definitely they're using manipulation and coercing to make a child feel like uh, it's okay to share their naked pictures. So if, uh, if then this person has managed to make a child share their naked videos and naked pictures, then they can use that against this child. That if you don't come and meet me, say, in uh, Kilifi, then I think I'm going to share your videos. I'm going to send them to your parents. I'm going to share, to, to share them with your class teacher. So it also becomes a factor that a child will, uh, because of fear and that blackmail, which is also another form of uh, sexual exploitation that we call sextortion, the child will now feel like the only way to to protect my identity is to just meet this person. So 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 those are some of the factors that I feel also. Well, they they are in OCSE, but they also make children vulnerable to child trafficking. Well, I wanted to to add another factor that maybe I felt we had not we had not included, and this is a factor of social isolation. You see, when a child doesn't 
have anyone they can tell their secrets i will i will also wish to link that uh, that that uh, that factor of social isolation with with another aspect of self esteem issues a child who is socially isolated and has self esteem issues then they will be going to the online platforms to seek validation so if then they meet a perpetrator who is who will take advantage of that and give them what the thing that they've been looking for that is validation and make them you know elevate their selves their their, their sense of self worth then this child will develop trust and they will be they will fall victims of being abused by this perpetrator who is taking advantage of the self esteem of this child and the fact that they are socially isolated and they cannot tell anyone their problems meaning by the time they even asking them to meet them chances are no one will even know that the child left maybe Nairobi to Kisumu until like after 3 4 days when the case will be reported as a case of a missing child and no one knows because the only person that this child trust is the online perpetrator thank you john just going back again to the relation between online child abuse and child sex trafficking so i was speaking to one of your officers not too long ago one of the examples that i was given was with truck drivers for so drivers who maybe move goods from the ports or to other parts of the country so maybe the online abuse started from an online perspective but has now developed to physical and has now become a case of child sex trafficking i'm going to move back to team and ask you team with your work on the ground in coast and probably other regions in kenya how exactly does child sex trafficking occur if you could paint a picture for us right thanks jambi i think as i mentioned at the beginning the whole conundrum of what child sex trafficking is from the purview of the law is one from the process of trafficking the child to the eventual uh, sexual exploitation of uh, the child which is the act so when you look at the cases that are even in court today you would find that there are several leads to it you would find that there are several accused persons the first accused person is one the person who transported this child from wherever they were coming from to the place of exploitation number two you find the person that who harbored uh, this child at a place of the exploitation or at a place waiting to be exploited sexually that is also a person who is of interest to the law and then number 3 is the actual perpetrator in the examples i think that we've we've seen here most of the cases that you would find the eventual perpetrator of uh, the sex trafficking is usually more or less never really found and i'll use an example you find that a child is moved from a place like kisumu i think i'll use the example that john used a child is trafficked from a place like kisumu brought to mombasa for purposes of a uh, business inside a brothel in essence they may not be able to identify a perpetrator a single handed perpetrator because they've been subjected to so much exploitation by several people and so many different people that it becomes for it becomes difficult for them to identify who exactly it is that brought me here but they able to identify number one the owner of the brother the issue of uh, child sex trafficking and i think i like what john says it begins from um especially with this age of uh, the internet it begins from that point where there is luring of these children into a space where they can be able to be vulnerable and therefore submit to exploitation in any way so it begins from there it's an online conversation an online conversation moves to let's meet on this date that meeting on this date becomes i'll send you fair to come to this place on a certain date or alternatively i'll send somebody to come and pick you 
then it moves from there, it becomes they're actually being picked and then we move from one location to the other. And eventually they become trapped and slaves into this, into this space to the point that it stops being a problem for them. And now see this, they now see it as normal because it, it becomes normal for them after a while. And what happens is one, they either get into the depression that they, they, they no longer value themselves as children, or you find that the people who are who went into it first, and I think we've dealt with this several times, the people who went into this first are the people now who are recruiting other girls or other children into this space. It becomes very sad because at that level, when you're dealing with, for example, the legal issues surrounding that, you're left in a place where you really don't know whether this girl is really a victim, according to the law, of which she is because she was in the place of abuse, or a perpetrator in the sense that she's also a recruiter of other young girls to this program or to this this kind of work that is being done. Right. So then it becomes a continuous chain, just like you said. Uh, And Margaret, I'll ask you maybe to pick up where Tim left off. So what are the implications, mental implications on a child who's now a survivor of child sex trafficking? What does that look like for them? Because this is a traumatic experience. And the thing about trauma experiences for children, especially those uh, below uh, the age of 10 or those around 12, is imprinted in their brain and later on in life. These are the children who are more at risk of uh, suicide. They are more at risk of um, other behavioral issues uh, such as substance use. So we are more likely to see these children with anxiety. Of course, this as a trauma experience, they are more likely to manifest the PTSD, the post-traumatic stress disorder. We are more likely to see children who are highly suicidal because then their interpretation of what has happened to them is number one that it's shameful because the culturally we don't talk about sex and we don't talk talk about sexual issues with our children and then of course the other impact is that uh, then they grow to be people to be children and later young adults and adults who have a very high sense of insecure because remember if uh, the person who picked them and uh, who was part of the trafficking uh, uh, process is someone who groomed the child, then it t- cuts out as uh, who can I trust? I trusted that person and look what has happened to me. The other thing, again, because of the perception of the sex and the, the sex aspect, you're more likely to see them again engage in uh, obsessive compulsive uh, disorders or behaviors and specifically uh, washing or cleansing ritual because then sex is dirty that's the image um, the number of people who have had sex with this child so then they are feeling very dirty and they just want to keep on cleaning themselves and cleaning themselves and you know they just never get to experience this sense of being clean and one of the other major impact impact is the loss of the social connection with their peers as they are taken hostage of wherever they are they don't have a connection with their family they don't have connection with their peers of course, then they are more likely to miss out in education. Then, of course, because of the intimidation and sometimes the torture that comes with it, then these children are also likely to be, you know, physically they have been beaten or they have also been deprived of medical care. And then the harsh 
physical conditions that they are in. They are not sleeping, they probably are not eating well, and then of course the disconnection with their family members. So we, we are looking at children who later in their adult life have a lot of pain, psychological pain. They are very angry um, individuals and there will be individuals who are struggling and they resort to alcohol, drugs and other substances as a way of trying to numb their psychological pain from the childhood experiences. Look towards solutions. Tim has given us a very good example. You have this person who's now an adult or an older child or a teenager who yes was a victim but has now also become a perpetrator. What kind of psychological support should we be giving them? For those who have already gone through it, then these are the children who need therapy. And therapy here, we are talking about them meeting with a professional. A professional who can help children, who understands what it is to work with children, because therapy for children is different from what you do with the adults. Then, even as we are talking about helping these children, and I know, Elizabeth, you asked about psychologically, we will not help them if we don't address all their other needs. What are the other needs? There's education, because other children have been in school. How do we ensure that they still receive or they still access their right to education? Then the other important form of intervention that we all must think about is when this child is rescued, what is the process of reintegrating them? Are we sending them back to their family and back to their community? Or is this a child now that we are going to classify as a child in need of care and protection? And we probably need to get them into a children's home or an institution of care and protection. And even if we do everything psychologically, but we are still not looking at holistic care, then that child will still be a vulnerable child. That's very powerful. So perhaps we have someone who's listening in and they're thinking, I think I've witnessed a case of child sex trafficking, or I know a child who's being abused, or possibly, you know, I've talked to a sibling, a cousin. I think the things that they're doing online could amount to online child abuse or could lead to child sex trafficking. John, they might want to call the hotline 116. So maybe tell us, how does this hotline prevent child sex trafficking? Thank you, Jambi. Uh, if someone maybe, uh, like you were saying, we were talking about monitoring. Someone is monitoring the activities of their children and maybe they notice that this child is uh, chatting with uh, a stranger and from the conversation, I'm from the chats, uh, there is something that uh, is just suspicious. Like this person is asking for the photos of this child. And uh, maybe this person doesn't know now where to report. Now that's where the helpline comes in. Because if such cases now are reported to us, we'll definitely, of course, link up with the with the reporter or we'll request that we be linked up with, the, with this child. And then, because this is a child who, because we don't know the extent to which this online abuse have gone, maybe they could even have met and maybe what the, the reporter found were only chats maybe there, there could have been even other child that had been deleted. Now, we as child helpline now, we will receive that case. And then I had talked of linking uh, the victims with the law enforcement agencies. The unit is able to retrieve charts that have been deleted and conversations that have been deleted. And they are able now to investigate uh, well if there was abuse that actually took place. 
So that is for the part of linking the child with the with the law enforcement agencies. On our side now, we'll also be offering now counseling support to this child because we want them to understand that uh, this has been, this is what has been happening because one of the reasons why children get abused on the online platforms is because they are ignorant of the online dangers that exist there. And if abuse happened, then you need to understand that it was not your fault because children really blame themselves. So we also take time to educate the parents to their child is being exploited. So that is now what we'll be doing. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely go, we'll request to be linked with that child as part of uh, trying to assess the needs uh, that this child has, whether it's a case that just needs counseling, whether it's a case that needs the intervention of the law enforcement agencies, besides uh, counseling support. We do offer legal support to children victims of uh, online abuse and also child trafficking. We actually have a legal officer who follows these cases in court. I like the aspect of cancelling both the child and the guardian or parent. Yes. I think that's very yeah. important. I have just one final question for Tim. What are the legal gaps as far as preventing child sex trafficking is concerned or as far as protecting children against this form of abuse is concerned? All right. Thank you very much. I don't think there are any legal gaps per se. What I'd say is a challenge in terms of the legal system is probably two things. Number one, the referral pathways that are existing in terms of channeling these cases through the criminal justice system. I think for the child to attain what you call restoration, then there has to be some form of closure in terms of if they were a victim, have they been able to get justice? And this is what we do at IJM as it is currently constituted. What we do is take these cases through the criminal justice system and ensure that the victims who are these children are able to get justice in the sense that the perpetrators who are actually uh, arrested or taken through the criminal justice system by the law enforcement agencies actually found guilty, if at all they were guilty, and eventually they serve their sentence, whichever that the, the case might be. The gap in terms of referral pathways is it stops at a certain end. It stops at a certain point. It needs to continue on to the full, full throttle for it to be able to make sense and then for it to complete the cycle of full restoration of the victim. That would be the first point of view. And then the second thing would be, you'd find that, for example, the space that we as IJM work in, which is commercial sexual exploitation of children, which is a component of child sex trafficking, under the law, there is no real definition or there is no express provision under which the offense of commercial sexual exploitation of children is brought under. And you'll find that most prosecutors or most law enforcement agencies would prefer charging a perpetrator of sex trafficking or any other form with a charge of defilement or any other charge under the Sexual Offences Act as opposed to the Counter-Trafficking Persons Act. And why is this so? The sentencing, or rather the punishment that is under the Sexual Offences Act as opposed to the Counter-Trafficking Persons Act is actually higher. So they prefer going this other way as opposed to going through uh, the motions of a sex trafficking. That's why you'll find, even when you're trying to get in information about are these cases really in the system? How are they being processed in the system? you find it's very difficult because when you go through court and you look at the files and you try and understand what is the prevalence of this, you'll find that, in essence, very few perpetrators are charged under the Counter-Trafficking Act. The quick solution, or rather a solution to what uh, might be the perceived problem, especially when dealing with the criminal justice system, would be, number one, sensitizing the public. And I think this will be a rallying call to my colleague so that we can collaboratively work together to ensure that this problem of child sex trafficking in whatever form is actually reduced in its prevalence. I think that's a great takeaway. There's need for collaboration. 
just on this vehicle, we have uh, Wakilisha, we have IJM, we have SPA, we have Childline Kenya, we have Hill. Imagine the kind of networks we would be able to create with even other organizations that we're already working with. So that's a very great takeaway for me. These are conversations that should be ongoing, that we should carry forward, not just in our workspaces, but in our homes. And one of the things that Tim said in the beginning was that this happens because of the culture. So if our culture includes seeing this as a taboo topic not to be discussed, then again, we're not helping our children. So let us collaborate and let us keep discussing this. Let us instill change in our various small spaces and we will eventually make the world a better place. So as we close, I just, I'll give you 30 seconds each <laughs> to close. So Timothy, 30 seconds. Thank you. My part in short is this. As you've mentioned, Elizabeth, child sex trafficking in whatever form it, it manifests in itself is something that needs to be talked about. It's a conversation that needs to be in every space where children are involved, and not just for us as the people who are working in this area, but even for the children themselves. I think I've repeatedly been told um, that the solutions that are going to come are come from these children. It's important that we involve our children in these processes. That is the first thing. Number two, as you mentioned, collaboration. We as organizations working in this space need to have a collaborative approach towards ending this violence. Number three, sessions such as this are very important, and I think I'd like to thank Wakidisha, Hill, and all the people who are involved, uh, Charla and Kenya and SBA, when we come together and speak about these things and share this content outside there for people to understand that we are demystifying what is this child sex trafficking around? Are we able to coin around this conversation to solutions oriented or is it just us speaking about it and not really finding a solution to it? So those would be my takeaway and I think my 30 seconds are gone. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you, Akili. Ms. Jehia? For me, my parting shot is that child sex trafficking, in whatever form, whichever way, is a form of childhood trauma. Children need to feel safe and they need to feel secure wherever they are, whoever they are with. If only we see ourselves as the adults in their lives, as people who are called to safeguard our children and if we take up our space and if we use our voice to be child protectors. If we do that, then we will not have cases of children with childhood trauma experiences. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ms. Njehia. And last but not least, John. Thank you, Jambi. Here I'm seeing a great opportunity of uh, interacting or rather partnering with all the partners who are available and are present here today, I believe we'll be able to come out with a, come up with a strategy of how we can partner, of course, for the best interest of a child. Thank you once again for this great opportunity. Thank you, John. And yes, I do agree. This is a great opportunity to partner. Elizabeth, before you drop the call, just to make that call that children are with trauma experiences, one of the ways that we can help them is uh, to make access to therapy affordable and available for the children and to everyone who is listening to just challenge ourselves to stop reading the statistics but to start changing the statistics because we are the change that we want to be this could be the generation that says it's enough thank you oh i love that stop reading the statistics and start changing the statistics that that's powerful thanks for taking your time 
we really 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 appreciate it and for you out there who who's been listening i hope you've learned something new and i hope you've been challenged to not read the statistics but to change the statistics asante sana Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed and learned something from it. Please subscribe to our platforms and share this episode with your friends and family. Till next time, goodbye.